Hello, may I welcome you to episode 42 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began her career within the industry some 33 years ago, starting in a sales support role at Anglo-Pacific. We discuss her challenges, what she would change from her moving past, her high points, what changes she would make to the industry, the advice she would give starting out again, her predictions for the next five years, and what she does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end with a funny moving story. My guest this episode is Pauline Collins, Partner Relations Manager of the Vorman Group. Enjoy. Good morning, Pauline. How are you today? I'm fine, Colin. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Thank you for being a guest on Moving Matters. You're welcome. I've loved listening to the other podcasts you've carried out. You've kept me company on my morning walk, so it's a privilege to be part of it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Of course. My name is Pauline Collins and I work for the Vorman Group. We're based in The Hague, in the Netherlands. That's where our headquarters are. I was born and raised in Ireland. I moved to the UK 34 years ago, just for the summer. And 34 years later, I'm still here. I met my husband, Matt, that first summer, and we currently live in the Surrey Hills. Matt is a mechanical engineer, and we have a cat called Gizmo, who's a professional attention seeker and rules the house. As most cats are. As most cats do, yeah. And dogs, by the way. I've got a dog, and he rules the roost here. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we'd love a dog, but from traveling and being at work all day, it's not possible. So the cat is our ruler. I've been in the industry for 33 years, and I remember somebody saying to me when I started my career, people either stay for a short time, but if you're in it for longer than two years, then you're in it for life. So I guess I'm the latter. I'm in international moving, and I've been here and intend to stay. Welcome, fellow lifer. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a few of us out there, but uh, what's not to love about the industry? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So how did you get started within the industry? Oh, I think like most people, it was a complete accident. You know, when I left Ireland for the summer, I had no career plan. I was 19. I was coming to London, the big smoke for the summer and planning to, to have a good time. That summer, I waitressed and I worked in temping office roles and I met my, didn't know it then, future husband. So ended up staying in London. And when I realized that my stay in London was going to be on a more permanent basis, I thought, well, I can't be a waitress for the rest of my life. I need to find something proper to do. And I signed up with a recruitment company in Ealing Broadway, and they sent me for an interview for a sales support role at a company called Anglo-Pacific. And I had no idea that there was an industry dedicated to moving people around the world. (laughs) But Sarah Rowlands interviewed me and I was... Oh, my word. Sorry for interrupting. What a name from the past. I know, I know. So she's the reason I'm in the moving industry. I have a, a lot to thank Sarah for or maybe a lot to blame her for, but we'll go with the thanking. 
So yeah, Sarah was my first employer. And do you know, I took that job because it was 10 minutes down the road from home. Because at 19, (laughs) it was really important how much time you had in bed in the morning. And that was the reason I took the job. And here I am 33 years later, still loving it. My initial role for Sarah at Anglo was admin support. So I was employed to type up quotes and set up the surveys. And, you know, setting up the surveys was a big challenge for me back then because I was Irish, green, and had no idea where anywhere I was. So I spent a lot of my time looking in the UK atlas because pre-internet days, there's no going on Google Maps to see where anywhere it is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, you'll scare the youth. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. They're going, what, pre-internet? Is there such a time? A book? But, um, <laughs> What's this book thing? <laughs> I know, I know. But it was important that I put that sort of investment into um, searching for these locations because I didn't want to upset the surveyors. Giving them 20 minutes from London to Gloucester would not have made me popular. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time looking at the UK atlas and then calling people back to set up the surveys. And the funniest thing is, even the place names were a challenge for me. Who knew that Chiswick wasn't Chiswick and that, you know, I was calling it Chiswick for a very long time. So (laughs) that did make people laugh, but I learned. I learned very quickly and my UK geography became much better. So that was my start in the industry. And then as time went on, I started doing more and more. Anglo was a great company. It was a migrant moving company. We did the baggage selling. So we had a lot of Aussie and Kiwi guys and girls working in the office and it was a fun place to work. And I started spending time with the guys down in the sales office during my lunch breaks and selling tea chests and baggage, you know, picking up the phones for them. And and I thought, actually, you know, I really like this. I like the people part of what I do. And I was very lucky. You know, Anglo saw the potential in me. They sent me on a feedy course when I'd just been with the company for six months. So very young going on on the feedy course. And, and I think that was my first insight into the fact that this could be a career, you know, and that it had opportunities and I could travel. I could meet people across the world. And, you know, and 30 years later, I'm still here, still doing it and, and loving it. I've worked for five companies across my career, and I've been really lucky to experience the various sectors of the international moving market. You know, I've worked with private migrant moving at Anglo. I moved into the trade and the corporate moving. I've worked with the RMC, the relocation management companies, and I've worked all aspects of the sort of move management process. I've been a move coordinator and then um, leading teams and then implementing new business and managing accounts. So and that's what I do for Vorman. I'm a partner relations manager and I also implement new business. So if we have a new client, I implement the business. And, you know, I think like any mover, I'm happy to get involved with everything. When you work from a small company or a big company, you have to get your hands dirty and get stuck in when necessary. So, yeah, that's my career in a few minutes. <laughs> Tell me more about the company you're currently working for. So as I said, I work for the Vorman Group and our headquarters is in The Hague in the Netherlands. The company was founded in 1986 by Ed Vorman. It was set up as a family business and the company has grown considerably over the last 30 plus years, but it still has that family feel about it. And it's still relevantly new. It is still, yeah. In in moving terms, you know, in the established companies, it, it is, you know, a very new moving company. And the Dutch are very innovative. They strive to be a leader in the industry in relation to technology, new processes, and and it's a diverse and forward-thinking company, and that appealed to me. But we are a mover, and that's what we do. Our core moving services is moving. 
and we're part of the Harmony Network, Fidi, all of the associations. But yeah, we're, we're a moving company. If you don't mind me asking, how many depots does the group have? How many vans do they run? What staff do they employ? Do you know those numbers at all? Yeah, we're based in three locations, uh, Borman International. So yeah. our headquarter is in The Hague, in the Netherlands, as I said. We've got an office in Moscow. Right. We're also based in Prague, which is where we run our relocation management business from. We also have service centers in Asia and in the US. So from there, we run our relocation management business and we have teams. So we're not bricks and mortar in those locations. We are a management center. Right. But we find that our clients like to have personnel in country in the same time zone. So we facilitate that. Through the group, we have affiliations with companies in Germany, Switzerland, Ireland, Malaysia and Africa. So we're spread across the globe. Our core business is obviously international moving, but we also have Eurohome, which is our relocation provider and provides destination support, also based in our three main locations, but we also operate a global network. We have Transpac, which is based in Rotterdam, and that's our private trade side of the business. So they primarily operate groupage service, and they're based in, in the port of Rotterdam. And they carry out import and export services, as I say, for the private market and also for the trade. We do commercial moving through our logistics side, which is ULSI, United Logistics Service International. And that's our project moves, commercial hotel moves, stores, trade shows, things like that. And we have got a company called Relo Insurance who provides insurance services to our own clients and also the wider industry. So they say the Dutch are innovators and we have all of those entities within the group. That's an awful lot for a company that's been going 30 odd years. It is. As I say, they're forward thinking, they're progressive. There's always something new to explore. And, you know, I think when I, when I started to talk to Vorman about the position and the role that I'm in, I hadn't fully realized, you know, how big they were. For me, they were a Dutch moving company that I had worked with as a client, had partnered with them. But when I went to visit them, I realized actually they're much bigger than I had understood and that they do offer a wide range of services. So it's interesting to work for a company which is so diverse because the days are never boring. I work with the partners for Transpac, for ULSI. Yeah, so it's, it's always interesting. So what challenges have you had to overcome then, Pauline? So I was thinking about this when when you sent the questions through. And and I think, you know, on a personal note, I've been really lucky and that I haven't had any real challenges to overcome. I've worked for some great people. We talked about Sarah Rowland. She was a great introduction to the industry. I worked for Paul Evans, RIP, and he was a great guy to work for. Jack Dorrington, another name in the industry. Oh, my word, another name. So Jack, I worked with at TransEuro and I worked with him on the groupage desk and sold to the trade. And, you know, what a mentor. He was a great guy and personality and knew how to talk to people. And then Nick Kerr as well at DT Moving, you know, Nick's a recognized name in the industry. So I was very lucky. I had all of those individuals supporting me and encouraging me to be the best version of myself. My husband's always been really supportive and I've got amazing friends across the industry as well. So I think personally, challenges, I don't think I've had any, you know, day-to-day challenges in terms of workload. I think if I had to focus on any challenge, I suppose it would be 
I'm quite a focused and determined individual and I've got a very strong work ethic, which doesn't always make you the easiest to work with. And I think, (laughs) you know, in this industry, you sometimes end up in roles that perhaps you haven't been trained for. You know, it's just natural progression. And I was the move manager, have always, you know, worked as a move manager, but then progressed into team lead, not necessarily on purpose, but you just happen to be in a team lead role. And I think maybe my skills hadn't been honed in terms of man management. So I had an expectation that people would work in the same way that I did and and was young and naive and didn't realize that people come with different shapes and sizes. And that also applies to their work ability. So I think probably in my early years, I was a challenge to work for and maybe work with. So if there's anything that that would have found a challenge, but I think as you get older and you're more experienced, you then start to understand actually people's skill sets. And then you recognize in people what their abilities are. And then you mentor them and you encourage them. And if you think somebody is not meeting their ability, then you, you know, in a professional way and in a nice way, you encourage them to be the best version of themselves. That's what people did for me. And that's what I tried to do for people. So so yeah, that, that's probably the one challenge that I've had, you know, again, a personal challenge. For the industry, I think the one biggest challenge would be finding personnel, identifying talent, you know, to come into our industry. I listened to one of your recent podcasts with John Payne and, and he mentioned that our industry should be a profession and in, he doesn't think that will happen in his lifetime. And I, I tend to agree with him. It's, it's not recognized as a professional. I, like everyone else, have come into this industry completely by accident. You know, my reason for taking the job was 10 minutes from home. Um, (laughs) But I think we can do things to help ourselves in in recruiting talent. And I think we have to recognize ability or talent wherever we come across it. One of my directors found one of our move coordinators at his box fit class in Rotterdam. It was quite handy that it was in Rotterdam, which is obviously a port. So <laughs> the box fit class had lots of people with logistical background, but it just demonstrates that you should always recruit wherever you are, yeah. that if you identify somebody who you think would be a good fit for your company, then you should pursue it. The other thing we do as a company is, and I think this also is aligned with sustainability and local community, is we have just this year started to support a charity called JNIC, which supports children in a background where perhaps their future would be more difficult. Children from the age of 8 to 16 who grow up in an environment with high unemployment or with few role models, and it introduces them to different professions. We support them financially, and we've also offered to support them from some of our employees volunteering and mentoring children. And I think that not only gives us the opportunity to identify people who might be a good fit for our industry and encourage people into a profession that they may not know about otherwise, but it also supports society, our local community, and it gives our employees inspiration to be something different than their day-to-day working life. So that's one thing we've done as a company to future-proof ourselves. And there are lots of charities out there who do things like that and that people can be involved with. Great charity to get involved with. Great, great yeah, charity. Well yeah, done. It is. And, and as I say, it's a new charity for us. We have got other charities that we work with, but this one is from 2022 and we thought it was really important. As I say, it's future-proofing, you know, our talent pool, hopefully. But I think when we find people, the other thing that we're challenged as an industry 
is keeping and retaining those people. This has been touched on in, in your previous podcasts as well. You know, it's all very well finding the right person and training them how to do the job. But I think these days we are competing with the influencer. Kids grow up seeing that there is perhaps what they see as an easy way of you know, having a career and that it's glamorous. So we're competing with that influencer lifestyle. We're competing with companies like Facebook and Amazon who have amazing packages for the young people that are coming up and who have incentives you know, and incentivize people and they've got the nice to have things. And as a moving industry, it's hard for us to, to match those offerings. But there's little things that we can do. You know, I think my first day at the office, one, it was quite unique because I got on a plane to travel to the office. So my first day at work, my commute was EasyJet flight to Amsterdam. But the end of my first working day was a boot camp with my colleagues. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the company pays for a personal trainer to come in once a week. You know, and on a, a Monday afternoon, we have boot camp and everyone can join. There's normally 10 to 15 people. And it's a great way to get to know your colleagues as you're running around the warehouse yard. And, and that's one thing, you know, that's sort of a, a bonus. I think I'd rather just sit around a table and eat cake. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is the opportunity to eat cake as well. But again, we try <laughs> to do that in a healthy way. I think one thing we identified over the last couple of years, there's a lot of birthdays in the office. And like any office, we have a tradition of people bringing in cakes on their birthdays. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm only there every so often. But you know, it would seem like every day there was another set of cakes. So you know, the company thought, oh, we need to think about our employees' well-being. So what we do now is one day a month, we celebrate everybody's birthdays and the company provides the cakes. Oh, brilliant. And some months it'll be cakes, other months it might be a more healthy option. But in addition to that, they also have fruit boxes that are delivered to the office to, again, you know, promote healthy lifestyle. And I think it's things like that that we yeah. should you yeah. know, do within our companies. And it's not easy for every company to do that because obviously there's a cost associated with it. But things like that just shows our people that they're valued, that the company wants to look after them. They're more than just an employee then at the end more of the day. More than just an employee, yeah. It's investing in people. And our roles are so diverse. What we yeah. do is not bog standard. No two days are the same. You know, you have to be finance, you have to be logistics, you have to problem solve, customer service, you know, there's such a range of things that you have to have within your skill set. And some people are good at one part of that, other people are good at something else, and you have yeah. to identify those skills. So yeah, I think we need to promote our industry more. And it's our responsibilities to do that is to let people know so that next time you interview somebody and they say, how did you get into the industry? Go, oh, well, we had somebody talk to us about the diversity of the options in the business <laughs> rather than I took the job because it was 10 minutes from home. <laughs> well, we can cross our fingers on that yeah, one. we can. <laughs> if you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? Hmm. So I think... Again, as I say, I've been very fortunate in my career and I've been very happy at the companies where I've worked. I've worked for great people. I've always left on very good terms. I've worked for them for a long time. I'm not, you know, I don't jump from company to company. The one thing I probably maybe a small regret is that I didn't take opportunities to maybe work overseas. <laughs> I got as far as from Ireland to London and that was, you know, my world, <laughs> my world trip to end at, end at Heathrow Airport. But I think, you know, there are so many options, so many opportunities in this industry. And, you know, we have great partners around the world, even to just 
take the opportunity to go work in a different location for six months yeah. to a year, you know, yeah. and have that experience. In a way, I'm sort of doing that a little bit now because I work for a Dutch company. So I'm working in a different culture and it is a different culture. It's a different work environment. It's a different work ethic. You don't think it will be, but it is. So I think that would probably be the one thing that I would change in my moving past. But in a way, I'm sort of achieving that at the moment just by working for an overseas company and traveling a lot. Brilliant. What is your high point of being within the industry? Oh, well, Colin, the obvious high point is taking part in this podcast, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, I'll deposit the funds. (laughs) It'll be in your PayPal account by this afternoon. (laughs) Excellent. Well, and obviously, you know, that aside, I think it's the opportunity to meet people from so many different countries and different walks of life, not just our clients, but, you know, our partners. And, you know, and, and for those individuals, that I've met at conferences or been to their offices, for them to have become friends, you know, and I have got some really good friends in the industry. Professionally, I think a high point is being recognized for my ability to go above and beyond, to have that reputation within the industry. I had a client once say, if Pauline can't get it done, then it can't be done, which was very nice, not necessarily true. But If you're going to do something, I I personally think you have to give it 100% commitment. And I think there's no cliche, there's no I in team, it is a team effort. So, But there is me. There is me, (laughs) that is true. (laughs) But in order to have that reputation, you have to have people behind you, you know, and that it's your, your ops team, your crews that make that happen. But I think, yeah, that is a high point, you know, being recognized for your abilities to get things done for me personally is a high point. Brilliant. What one thing would you change within the moving industry? Now, that's, a, you know, a very open question. And there Absolutely. are a lot of answers. <laughs> I think there are things that have to change. The buzzword at the moment is sustainability. And I think as an industry, we have to change and there are things that we can do better. And it's everyone's responsibility to take steps. So what can we do better? Well, there are things like, and, and I'm working with um, Feedy at the moment, they're running sustainability workshops. And I think my concern when I was asked to join the workshop is that, what do I know? What does my voice matter? And as it turns out, there's no idea that's too big or too small. Little steps can make a huge difference. I think we participate in a program called EcoLegit, which is a program that we offer to all of our clients. And it's this technology to track the CO2 impact of a move. And then we make a financial contribution towards initiatives to offset those carbon emissions, planting trees. I don't think it's enough just to plant trees, but I think that is a step. What we can do within our businesses if we're looking at changing our truck that perhaps we explored looking at electric trucks. Um, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to go out and buy an electric truck, but if you're up to change your truck anyway, then explore the options. With FIDI at the moment, we're looking at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and there's 17 SDGs. Now, before my work with FIDI, I didn't even know that there were 17 SDGs. And when you look at it, There are lots of things that we can do, and the website is great, gives you information of the lazy person's sort of objectives, somebody who's a little bit more committed, somebody who's very committed, and that's on a personal level. And I think we as companies need to look at things like that, small steps like our plastic tape changing to paper tape, 
looking at the vehicles that we run, looking at supporting our communities because the SDGs don't just relate to our products or the emissions that we have. It's how you operate in your community. And I think by charitable works, such as the initiative that we're, we're working with the 8 to 16-year-olds, all of that makes a, a difference. And I was listening to a podcast the other day with Anya Hindmarsh, the, the bag designer, and she was part of that I Am Not a Plastic Bag initiative with Sainsbury's back in, I think it was 2007 or around then. And she said, you know, I think we all have a social responsibility to be sustainable. And sometimes when you're living in London or in Bristol or Northampton or wherever you are, you don't have that impact on your day-to-day life, but we all see it in the news. We see flooding, we see fires, we see things going on in the world that need to change, that we need to approve. And I think even though it doesn't impact our day-to-day lives, that we are responsible for having a view and having a voice and making suggestions, little steps in your own lives that you can take, not necessarily professionally, but personally. So yeah, I think that's one thing that I think I would like to change, but it needs to change. And really important that we do embrace that. And with the support of our associations, I think we are taking the right steps towards that. We're hearing sustainability in the news. We're all talking about it. We're seeing it on LinkedIn. So it's there. It's in the forefront of our minds. And that in itself is progress. But isn't there then a cost to it? I mean, you've already said EcoLegit, you're part of that. You pay them. Somebody has to pay for this cost. So if you if if this is going to cost the industry money, the customer at the end of the day will be paying that. And it's hard enough to sell a removal as it is without having to put our prices up to get paper tape rather than plastic tape. It is. And I think we have to learn how to sell it. You know, our clients are also living on this planet. They also have a social responsibility. With the private market, yes, it is going to be a challenge because that is coming out of people's pockets and and people are, you know, it's tough times. We see our our energy bills rising, you know, so people are going to be looking at cost-saving measures. So for the private market, it is. For the corporate market, these companies have the same objectives that we have as an industry. They have their social responsibility. So we have to sort of educate them that it's driving price down will impact our ability to be sustainable as an industry. But again, we have that responsibility. And, you know, even from that point, if you're a small moving company, but you have a corporate client, you may not be able to afford to take those steps or implement measures within your own company. But perhaps you can piggyback on your corporate client's objectives, you know, talk to them about what they do, how you can support their initiatives. So it may not necessarily be a cost impact for you, but perhaps you can offer support in other ways to initiatives that your clients are, you know, involved in. There are lots of ways. I don't have all the answers. And I think we have to be Does creative. anybody? No, <laughs> we have to be creative, but there will be a cost, but we have to educate our clients in the same way that we're educating ourselves. And I think that's where, with the support of our industry associations, that will help us because it's a collective voice being channeled through yeah. one association and will make more of an impact than our individual voices. Do you have any more changes then, Pauline? I think we need to embrace technology. I think. As an industry, I'm not going to use the word old-fashioned. I think we're traditional. I think we're resistant to change. But we do need to find a way to incorporate technology into our processes. 
but we have to be careful that we incorporate them in such a way that we don't lose the people part of what we do. I see it with younger members of staff who are resistant to picking up the phone. You know, an email is their favorite mode of communication. Or a WhatsApp message. A WhatsApp message, yeah. You know, and we even have our crews on WhatsApp groups at the moment. So technology is important. Our processes are much more challenging than when I started in the industry. If I was sat at a desk and told to manage a file, I probably wouldn't know where to start because it's so much more involved than what I did 33 years ago. The efficiencies that technology offers will help to support our teams with the extra workload that they have to deal with day to day. We're resistant to technology, but there's things like, if nothing else, the pandemic has taught us how to do a virtual survey. And how resistant have we been as an industry to carrying out virtual surveys? Even now, I still get people saying the Severa has to go in. You know, and I think the use of technology not only improves efficiencies within our companies, but also goes towards sustainability. You know, because if you are embracing the virtual survey, you haven't got a severe getting in a car, having those fuel emissions. And that itself also is a cost saving. So you're not paying for these increased fuel prices. If you're not paying for that, then perhaps you can divert that money towards your sustainability initiative. So I think technology is something that we have to look at and embrace as an industry. What advice would you give to yourself just starting out within the industry? Um, Go back to that day when you flew over to to London (laughs) and settled in London, then decided to apply for a job that was 10 minutes away. (laughs) I think, what would I tell my 19-year-old self? (laughs) I would think... Taking into account my personal work ethic, I would say to myself, be kind to yourself. Learn how to say no. You don't have to rule the world at an early age. You don't have to be (laughs) misefficiency and superhuman. We move people at a really stressful time of their lives. You know, I think it's up there with marriage and divorce. And to be a good move manager or to do what we do and provide good customer service, we have to have empathy. We have to understand what our clients are going through. But I think it's very easy to then let that take over your life, you know, and that you're having sleepless nights. And it's vital for people to switch off when they go home and not to go home and worry about their workload or their file count. And I have spent a lot of years going home and worrying about my shipments. And and so I think I would say to myself, have a voice. Let people know when you're out of control and just be in general kind to yourself on a day-to-day basis. And I think that is important advice these days. You know, our teams are working in a pandemic situation. People are tired of hearing, oh, it's due to COVID. I can't get a vessel for you because it's due to COVID. They're over COVID. But our teams are having to deal with that negative feedback on a day-to-day basis. And they've had their professionalism questioned. They've been told that they're inefficient. They haven't managed to file properly. So I think it's really important that people understand that it's okay to be out of control and there is somebody there to support them. And as managers, we should be able to recognize that, you know, and, and when somebody is struggling. So I think that's an important message to anyone starting in the industry is, you know, learn to be kind to yourself. Also. Be confident. Don't be concerned about making suggestions about where things can improve or, you know, and it doesn't matter what your role is. If you've got an idea, it doesn't matter how silly it seems, be prepared to voice it. 
I was a young female in the moving industry, which is male dominated. I've been very lucky to be supported and never felt that female in a male dominated industry. But even with my confidence, it's overwhelming to walk into a room at a conference, male or female, it's daunting walking into that room. So I think just be confident in yourself. Be confident that if you have something to say, then it's okay to say it. And also be conscious that you may not be the new person in the room, but there will be a new person in the room. So go find that person and remember that you were the one standing looking nervous at your first conference or your first BAR meeting and be there for those individuals. That's my advice to my 19-year-old self. (laughs) (laughs) And good advice too, good advice. So where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years? Ah, now that's a tricky one. Of course, I have to say that I still see myself at Vorman and part of of an innovative team, but I do actually still see myself at Vorman. I grew up in not so much in, in, in a time where it's a job for life. I think I was sort of at the end of that. But even so, my parents had a job for life, whereas for my generation, it was expected that you would have more than one job. But even so, I have always worked for companies for longer than five years. I think it takes a good two years to get to know a company. Yeah. It takes a good two years to make an impact and sort of do what you're supposed to be doing. And then you should have some time where you enjoy the job, you know, having learned it and and understand the company. So I see myself still with Warman and I love the partner relations role. It gives me great opportunities and I get to travel and and see our our partners and our clients. So it's it's a nice role and it's probably, you know, one that's really suited to my personality. So yes, I would hope to continue it for the next five years. As I said, the company is quite diverse, so there's always opportunities and I think with our jobs and with the industry, no two days are the same. So there's always something new to learn. For the industry, I hope that the industry will be more sustainable. I think as an industry, we face challenges because shipment sizes are reducing. I think because of that, companies will have to diverse. We'll have to look outside what our normal day-to-day is. What that is in terms of diversification, I don't know. But I think that is something that we will have to consider. And I think that we will see the continued consolidation of companies. I think, unfortunately, smaller companies will suffer because of the reduction of volume. And I think the pandemic would also have an impact in that. You know, people are surviving. But I do think the way we work is different, which will impact our clients. Less people will be moving. It'll be smaller volumes. So I think the industry will change what we have now will not be the industry we have in five years time which is a bit of a downer but (laughs) well the industry won't go away that's the main thing we'll always be moving yeah and I think you know that it will get back to some sort of normality I think people already the the novelty of working from home and people seeing the benefits of working from home in terms of employee productivity reduced traveling time everyone was oh this is great this is a new way of working but I think Companies lose their culture if people aren't in an office together, even if it's one day a week or two days a week or seeing people overseas. I think we would lose that corporate culture that is our brand because we are people industry. It's all very well working from home, but I know when I travel to the office in The Hague, I'm energized just by being in the room with people. 
the cat doesn't energize me that much when he comes through his drive-bys. <laughs> but when I'm in the office, I'm energized. I hear people's ideas. It causes me to have new ideas. So I think the new way of working will evolve and hopefully the corporates will have the same view and, and they will continue to move people because it's necessary for, for their cultures as well. What do you do outside of the industry to switch off? There's a long list of things. I'm a, I'm a pretty sociable and pretty active person. My husband said our marriage has survived because I spend so little time at home, (laughs) (laughs) either working or socially. I'm very keen. I'm very active in relation to exercise. I find that exercising allows me to switch off. So I think as a child, I grew up in an environment of being outside and my father encouraged us as children to be involved in sports it didn't matter what you did as long as you were sporty so I was a runner as a child to my mid-teens unfortunately I think my PE teacher said that when I hit mid-teens I discovered boys so I um I stopped (laughs) running (laughs) and I think boys and alcohol probably I stopped running (laughs) and exercising but in my late 20s I found it again and I started running again in my 30s so I run every day. Well, I try to run every day or walk every day. I have participated in triathlons, which is quite no. funny. Well, I have sprint triathlons, but it's funny because when I signed up for my first triathlon, I couldn't swim. I have a fear of water. <laughs> but I had a very enthusiastic friend who convinced me that it would be a good idea. And of course I could swim, which I conquered my fear of water and I have participated in two triathlons. I have now since decided that swimming's not for me. I don't enjoy it, but I can now say I can do it. I have participated in some half marathons, but now I run just for pleasure. You know, it's not about times. It's about getting out and your mindset. I started yoga in lockdown. Which I've always been quite scathing about yoga as not being a proper exercise, but let me tell you, it's proper exercise. <laughs> if you're doing it properly, it's hard. And I practice daily. You know, I do it every morning before I start work. And that's nice. It's a great way to start the day. So you come with me on my morning walk with your podcast. And then I come back and do my yoga, Colin. (laughs) But not all of my activities is healthy. I like to eat. I like going out and having nice meals. I'm quite partial to the odd gin and tonic. I'm part of a WI. I know I'm too young to be WI, Colin, before you say it. (laughs) We're in a next generation WI, we call ourselves. So we're not jamming Jerusalem. It's more wine and gin. But but I I helped set that up eight years ago and I was president for three years. So through that, I've made a lot of friends locally. And that was my objective because I don't have children. So I never had that sort of local contact to make friends at the school gate. And I travel a lot for work and never really worked in where I lived. So didn't really have that sort of local community. But through the WI, I've made some great friends and also had an opportunity to try things that I would not normally have tried. Who knew I was good at macrame? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. But yeah, so that's what I do to keep busy. That and work. There's always work. And finally, I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? Well, do you know, this was the hardest question because I was thinking, I don't have any funny moving stories. I never remember what the guys came back and told me happened. 
I could probably tell you lots of tragic stories, you know, things that have happened, but then, which are, you know, black comedy maybe, but not there. But I thought of a, a funny situation that I was in at a conference. And, and I think it was a funny situation, but it also just shows what our industry is like and that there's always people there around you and to support you. And that is what our industry is about. It's a very people industry. So I was at a feedy conference in Cape Town. And we were at a, a social event, which was on a beach front. And like most events, there was a fair amount of alcohol flowing and there was lots of dancing and everyone was having a great time. We got to the end of the evening and people are obviously in their various groups. And very late, we, we were asked by the property management to leave the building because they were closing. And at that time, we realized that we had missed all of the buses leaving to go back to the hotel. <laughs> And it wasn't just my core group of people. I think there was about 10 or 12 people who were abandoned. And this was the days before Uber. We weren't in, in the town, so it wasn't easy to get a taxi. But one of my friends was quite creative. We're all standing outside looking lost. And a delivery driver turned up in a pickup truck. So <laughs> my South African friend, who is very charming, chatted to the pickup driver and got him to agree to take us all back to the hotel in the back of his pickup truck. <laughs> so we had 10 or 12 people, maybe some of us a little inebriated, climbing into the back of this pickup truck to drive through the Straits of Cape Town, lying down in the back of the pickup truck. So um, they always say every opportunity is a networking opportunity. Well, <laughs> I don't think I've ever networked in the back of a pickup truck, but I did that night. And um, <laughs> Oh, I met people that I hadn't met before. I have since become friends with and do business with. And I think it just shows that no matter where you are in the world, if you're in trouble or you need a friend or you just need somebody to go out with in this industry, there is always someone there to help you. And thanks to my friend JP, I have now traveled in the back of a pickup truck, which I had never done before. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. So, Absolutely brilliant. Well, Pauline. Thank you for giving up your time this morning to record an episode with me. I truly appreciate it. You're welcome, Colin. It was great. And thank you for inviting me. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 42 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Pauline Collins of the Vorman Group for giving up her time to record this episode. Thank you again, Pauline. If you would like to know more about the Vorman Group and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And before I go, I would just like to congratulate Jeff Archer and his team at PW Archer & Sons for winning the BAR Commercial Mover of the Year 2022. Well done indeed, Jeff. And if you haven't already listened to episode four of Moving Matters, which was some time ago now, then please do so to discover more about Jeff and PW Archer & Sons. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving. Oh, 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 oh